Welcome, Brad. It's good to have Hello. you. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about your background and how you happen to be speaking to me from London? Uh, well, after I left college, I went on the grand tour. I uh, came by boat from, uh, well, I, I drove across the country from California, caught a boat in New York and uh, to Tilbury in London in 1975. And uh, I wanted to stay for a year, so I got a job and uh, working in a bookshop. And eventually I became a buyer for a chain, the chain of bookshops that I went to work for. And the man who owned the uh, uh, chain of bookshops also had a publishing company. So in the late seventies, I switched over to that. And uh, uh, eventually became the managing director of the company, East West Publications. Um, and uh, uh, I'm basically stuck here in, in the UK. <laughs> Uh, never gone back to the United States. You were a baseball player in in the in the UK, though. Yes, yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah, played for a long time, and uh, I'm in the British Baseball Hall of Fame for whatever that's worth. <laughs> oh, this is great. It's great for what it's worth. Um, you came from originally from the Midwest, though, not from not from uh, Stockton, California. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, your, your family remained in the States, your, your parents? Yeah, they did, yes. And then when they retired, they moved back to where they were originally from in Eastern Ohio. And they both passed away now. My mother passed away last year. Mm -hmm. And, and I spent, uh, spent four months in the U.S., which was... Uh, um, uh, well, it was very interesting. <laughs> Before that, she was coming to the UK, though. Yeah, she came quite often, yeah, but uh, mainly to visit uh, her granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> she sounded like an intrepid soul. We, we've spoken about her a few times. Yeah, she certainly was, yeah. And in fact, um, I think it was about 2015 or so, she went to China on a tour. And uh, uh, yeah, quite an extensive tour as well. So she was a great traveler. And can you tell me something about how you managed to avoid the guardianship situation in the United States as far as your mother was concerned? I know your dad had passed away some time before that. Well, um, uh, my... Uh, my mother's niece, my cousin, um, uh, my mother's sister's daughter, uh, is married to a prominent lawyer in town. So everything was set up beforehand um, uh, and uh, very tidily and competently. So there was really uh, no problem whatsoever. Um, from that side of things, but as I think I've talked to you before, uh, uh, it was a it was rather difficult to deal with uh, the authorities. You know whether it was getting insurance or whether, uh, especially the insurance people and things like that. That um, uh, 
you know, I mean, I was in a situation where basically uh, people in positions of authority within insurance companies and, and whatnot, you know, basically lie to you. And you didn't have, you didn't have much problem from the care perspective. You had a really good grasp of that and how to operate in our, in our system here, which a lot well, of people can't. Well, my mother had some, some wonderful friends and uh, her golfing buddies. And uh, they, uh, uh, they, were, they were very helpful. My mother was in a nursing home um, for the last couple of years, year and a bit. And uh, so that was more or less taken care of. Um, uh, so, I mean, I didn't need to worry on, 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 on that account. And then also, I mean, they, there was a support from the family that's there and, and her friends and whatnot. So that made it uh, um, uh, uh, much easier than it would have been me being 3,000 miles away. So essentially, it's that everyone was all in accord all the way along. And there wasn't, yes. there wasn't a discordant note from any member of the family. And so everything worked the way it was intended to work. Well, I'm an only child, so that does simplify things. It should. You know, it <laughs> it <did>. should. <laughs> it did. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really helpful. But it does take a toll on you anyway when you're so far away and someone you care about is declining. Well, yes. And, and, uh, uh, and, and there are actually cultural differences as well. Um, I didn't grow up on the East Coast. And uh, so occasionally, in the beginning, you know, people would say things to me, and that would mean one thing to them, but uh, one thing to me, but actually it meant something different. I was unaware of, uh, of, of the local chops, I suppose you could call them. <laughs> you, could you give an example of a couple of things that uh, surprised you? Well, that's... Uh, um, I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, I can't think of anything specific, uh, uh, specifically in conversation or something. But somebody would would would, for instance, use a phrase or something which I would take to mean one way that that was a definite, you know, arrangement or something like that, and 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 yet it wasn't. And also, I mean, I think that uh, you have to deal with. Um, you know, to do anything, you know, to, uh, to get in touch with an auction house, to um, deal with insurance companies, to, um, uh, to deal with local businesses and things like that. Um, um, I, I didn't know how things worked, really. And uh, it took uh, it took a little bit of time to kind of get with the with the program. I mean, you talk to local people. I mean, I, I, I um, don't get me wrong. People were were wonderful, and they were they were very helpful. But I think it must be um, a characteristic of that area of Eastern Ohio. I don't know that that. Uh, um, you would ask people advice and, and, and uh, they, they would be very vague, 
you know, or, or in, in a way that wasn't specific that, you know, uh, one would expect in London, for example. Um, and uh, it was almost like they didn't want to venture an opinion. Um, Have you uh, any idea why they wouldn't? Um, uh, I think it's, uh, it's a character, uh, uh, it's, uh, um, uh, well, I mean, I don't think it was anything uh, untoward, but it was, um, uh, uh, again, this, this comes back to, uh, um, um, you know, um, understanding the, uh, the nature of what it means when some somebody says something, they might, they might be vague. I mean, for example, I can give you an example about, you know, selling my mother's condominium. You know, I would, I asked people outright, you know, well, what do you think about this and that? And, uh, well, you know, that looks pretty good, you know, and da, 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 you know, and it turned out that it wasn't, if you, if you understand what I mean, they, they, they didn't want to, to venture an opinion, which, which, um, Perhaps it's just my personality. I'll give you my opinion on anything. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they think that they're telling you what you want to hear. And so well, it's or, more congenial well, to you. Well, not so much that. But I mean, I think that, that, that um, they didn't, um, I didn't want to be in the position of, uh, of uh, being dogmatic. I suppose you might say, or something like that. It was, I mean, this is a storm in a teacup, you know, and in a way it was, it was quite interesting um, because I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's going on, how it's going on, how I'm going to solve these problems. Um, you know, for example, it's like, I, I you know, uh, I suppose maybe it's the same way here and there's a unique situation like what do I do with an entire condominium worth of stuff? You know, so, and what do you do? So you ask somebody and say, well, you might try this and everything. And you explore all these, these avenues. And in the end, um, uh, uh, you go down a lot of blind alleys in doing this. And it, it took me, I mean, I think I, I originally was going to go over to tidy up my mother's estate which, um, for about six weeks, I think it was. And I was there uh, 11 weeks or something like that. You know, it took, took much, much longer. And I didn't manage to get absolutely everything done. But um, my, in dealing with the like legal side, I said that was all tidied up. I mean, I, again, you see, I don't know anything about uh, the, the present laws of the United States or, or especially in or Ohio, more specifically. I didn't grow up there. You know, I don't really know how things go down. So I had to find out. Um, but you had relatives who knew. Well, th this comes back to the, uh, on the legal side, yeah, that was all, that was all very, very, very tidy. And there was, there was uh, uh, no problem there, but doing anything else, um, uh, in a way had to almost find out for myself. I had to go down a lot of blind alleys. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about, especially about the disposal of property and things like that, which, um, 
um, was, was, was uh, turned out to be quite an undertaking. And um, was it uh, like an estate sale, that sort of thing? Well, that and, um, you know, uh, auction houses and at an open, open house, sort of a yard sale, a grand yard sale <laughs> and, 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 and whatnot. Um, and uh, uh, it was really tracking down and trying to dispose of, of some very large items and whatnot. I mean, I think one of the problems was a very depressed area in a way. Um, it's uh, centered in Steubenville, Ohio. You know, and that was the big steel, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, Weirton steel, Wheeling steel, you know, and then of course that's gone the way of the dodo. So um, uh, uh, that, that was kind of a further problem as well that, um, uh, and had to reach out to other areas of, of the, the Northeast and stuff like that. Right. But all in all, I mean, I, I suppose for your purposes, I mean, the, the major criticism I had of, of the, of, uh, is basically the insurance companies. Um, a okay. couple of which would just like me. I mean, I, I mean, my mother had a policy with, uh, uh, 3A, you know, and uh, they were wonderful and boom, boom, you know, but the other policies with a couple of other insurance companies, um, uh, the long and the short of it was uh, they hold your money for three months, mm -hmm. despite what they tell you on the telephone. They pay after 90 days. And although that didn't apply in my case, it really it did make my blood boil a bit because if somebody was really desperate and needed the money and, and you know, on a, in a situation where you've had a, a death in the family and stuff like that, for them to do that uh, is, uh, you know, grounds for justifiable homicide. As well, it's again and again and they lie to you again and again you get somebody you know it, it's and, really uh, distressing it is it is and um I, this might be outside your purview but when my mother uh came over at 2016 when she had it she had a stroke and she uh wound up in the royal neurological hospital in queen square here in london near holborn it's one of the top you know, neurological hospitals in Europe. And she was in there for, I think, seven days. I think it was maybe nine, seven or nine days and had wonderful care and everything. Uh, she had insurance through Blue Cross because she was, had been a union member and they recommended that and this and that and everything. And Blue Cross still haven't paid the bill. And, and from 2016? Well, the claim was made in 2017. Yeah. So well, it's years. It's been years. They have no intention of paying. Um, I, yeah. They do I that to hoped, people here, too. Well, I had hoped that I would be able to exert some minor pressure through blue, uh, through the, her union, her retail clerk's union. And, uh, but then, you know, if you go on their website, they say, we know. <laughs> We no longer associate with. Uh, <laughs> they got fed up. They got fed up too. 
probably with people importing asking yeah. them to, to i mean you know and, and uh, i suppose it was a combination of those two things both the death benefits and the the medical benefits that my mother had specially purchased you know and whatnot and 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 being fobbed off but i think that's that's the that's the world we live in now that um uh, not to get too broad based about it but uh, the corruption of the institution and businesses of uh, of the country can you uh, in any way contrast your observations here with what happens in britain do you have any idea of the correlation or the lack of it well i i, I I mean, I grew up in an era, I grew up in the 1950s and stuff like that in America. And, you know, we all had an idea about ourselves and, you know, and, and, and uh, however idealistic and slightly naive that may have been, but, you know, that there was this idea of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of honest dealing and integrity and, you know, for the, for the most part, you know, in the main, you know, it's, a, you know, it's a, this is the way we do things, and um, of, of course, that wasn't legislated necessarily. Uh, it was goodwill, which is, you know, and uh, it's the breakdown of that. I mean, I, you know, I'm no expert on, on these sort of things here in the UK, but um, yes, I mean, there are certain there are certain things that you know, if you if you run a small company and somebody doesn't pay you, you can easily recover the money, you know, and you know, up to about 10, up to about $12,500, I think they've raised it uh, in, in recent years. Things like that, um, that you, you know, you do have some redress through the system where you don't really in the States. I mean, um, uh, I was uh, owed some money by somebody in Ohio and I looked into the small court claim system, which they have here, which goes up to twelve and a half thousand dollars. And I think at the time it was a hundred dollars. <laughs> Beyond that, you have to spend a thousand for an attorney to get back your five hundred dollars. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's not so you can do it yourself here. I mean, you don't really need, you know, um, and uh, lawyers are lawyers everywhere. There's no doubt about that. Um, but to come back to your question. Um, recently, um, you know, people, businesses have taken out insurance, you know, catastrophe insurance where they've had to close and this and that. And you probably, I don't know if you read the headlines, but Wimbledon paid something like $2 million, 2 million pounds a year for insurance, you know. And um, of course, Wimbledon had to be canceled this right. year and everything. And I think the payout was something like, oh, you know, hundred and eighty thousand hundred and eighty million dollars you know um and, and they'd been paying this premium i think they'd paid about 25 million into it but of course they got it back but recently i've heard where people have had you know with the air flights and, and whatnot and uh, oh, with yeah. the with the quarantines and whatnot not being able to travel and insurance companies not coughing up for that well, did you have any problem as far as the care went in Ohio uh, with how much it cost or not? There was no problem with that. Well, of course, that was a problem. I mean, not a problem, but I mean, of course, it was um, um, substantial. Um, uh, my mother had to have an operation and she went into a, a care home that was quite expensive, for local standards, quite expensive. It was about 
six thousand a month or something, maybe a little bit more. And uh, I, it, apparently, it wasn't up to scratch. And my, my my mother's niece, you know, got her out of there. And oh, actually, she was in there, and then she had to have an operation. She fell and broke her hip, and didn't return and went to another uh, nursing home which was about five and a half thousand dollars a month or something like that. And uh, they were, uh, uh, they were good. I mean, you know, they were very nice people and, and uh, you know, it wasn't luxurious or anything like that. But then, um, you know, my mother was lying in bed with a diaper on, you know, so, um, um, so uh, knock on wood, you know, that was, that was very helpful because obviously that's about the last thing you want where you're having trouble with the with the care home on top of everything else. Can you can you contrast when your mother was before she was in the home and she was living independently? Can you contrast any any difference in uh, I don't know what it, what the costs were? Or was she so active in traveling around that it was hard to uh, make any kind of comparison? There wasn't any equivalence. Well, most of the most of the expenditure that she had carried on, even though she, while she was in, you know, the property taxes and the insurance and the this and the that and and everything that that of course that just carries on, and uh, the fees for the condominium, you know, and the, general fees and stuff like that that carried on and then on top of it was the um five five and a half thousand or whatever it was was a month you know so um it it, it does add up very quickly as you <laughs> oh yes indeed it does and, and that's that's without a, like a court-imposed guardian or anything like that. You're not paying that set of expenses. You're paying to keep the property and for the care in the in yeah. the establishment as well. So yeah, I mean, my mother had a couple of pensions. She obviously had her social security. Well, she got my father's social security because that was higher when he passed away in 2006. And then she she always worked, and then she had a, a fairly large uh, pension um, uh, from uh, from the union, and also very good medical care from the union as well, um, which had started to deteriorate in the quality thereof just uh, just towards the end. They weren't covering things that they had covered before, and you know, and this and that. Um, and one can understand why, because the costs just keep on rocketing up. I mean, it's ridiculous, uh, uh, you know, uh, charging $300 for a blood test is. Oh, it's, it's astounding. And, and I don't, and, 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 and really, I mean, it's just something that can't carry on um, uh, in a financial sense, you know, uh, for the country. Uh, so all in all, I mean, I don't, you know, it uh, it worked out. My mother had enough assets to to cover. I mean, I think probably uh, maybe the condominium would have had to have been sold after three or four more years or something like that. Um, or 
perhaps even less than that. But uh, you know, to, um, uh, she wasn't in desperate desperate straits. You know. Well, that's good. Um, yeah. Can you describe a little bit the difference between what happens in Britain when people need need help in some way? Well, this is uh, this is uh, um, uh, something they're debating now. Um, I'm not an expert on it, so you'd have to check the facts. But in, in make a distinction here between the National Health Service and uh, which is, as it were, active medicine and and um, um, I, there's a term for it. I've forgotten what, you know, at, at care, to go in, in, into care. Um, and uh, the, the care side of it is, is not surprisingly these days, un, underfunded. So, and that's the uh, responsibility of the, of the local, local governments, the local councils. They're the ones who bear the financial responsibility for um, uh, the care homes and, and things like that. And uh, uh, there's uh, a couple of years ago, they were talking about combining the two. Um, but uh, I, I don't think they've made any progress on that. Um, I mean, it's, it, it, is, it is so different a system than in the United States. You know, simply because, uh, um, you, you know, uh, the health provision is free at the point of care, you know, um, and whatnot. But having said that, um, the fees for nursing homes in Britain are, are the equal and more of what they are in the United States. You know, it can be, you know put in dollars can easily be six, seven, eight thousand dollars, you know, a month or ten thousand or whatever, depending on how posh you want to 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 reside at. But it can it's it, it is very expensive, yes. Yeah. But you don't have the the ongoing healthcare costs and uh, uh, I, I, I simply don't know what they're going to do in the States because you know, everybody seems to want to preserve their um, financial position and, and whatnot. And, uh, well, anecdotally, my father in, I think it was about it was possibly 2005, um, he was not well. He went to see a local doctor. The doctor did a, a biopsy or a test and he said, I'm really not happy about this. I'd like to send you up to Pittsburgh, where there's a fairly famous, you know, clinic and everything. So he um, went up there, went in about four o'clock in the afternoon, had a liver biopsy, spent the night there, came home first thing the next morning. Um, irrespective of that, he collapsed three days later because they had punctured something. Oh. Had to have a it had to have a major operation, but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that the bill for that was $15,000. And while, whilst he was in hospital, um, they rang up from Pittsburgh asking for him. And 
said, oh, yeah, bring them back up. We'd like to do some more tests. I said, well, actually, <laughs> you screwed up the last one. And, you know, he's, he's just had a major operation. Um, and essentially, he never re re really recovered from that. But my, my, aside from, you know, the personal aspect of it is that, uh, I mean, that is, that is outrageous. It happens more frequently than people would like to think. Well, I think that the, the, the not being able to pay medical bills is the single leading cause of bankruptcy in the United States, isn't it? It's pretty close, yes. Yeah, so... People, well, most people have not enough savings, and by the time that there's a major emergency, whatever that major emergency turns out to be, they have nothing to pay it with. They can't pay for it. And by the time the insurance company refuses to pay, it's three or four years and the hospital is eager to be paid. They don't want to wait for the insurance company to pay the bill because maybe they think it's not going to or they're going to find some loophole in the contract that says they're not responsible for this particular procedure on Thursdays. I don't, you know, who knows? Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, then from the from the person who's had the uh, the treatment, their their point of view is, you know, you know, um, if I pay it, then the insurance company won't won't reimburse me, you know, or, or and whatever. they might I mean, not. <laughs> it's very very. I mean, these are kind of macro things. They're, they're huge, huge things, but uh, uh, it's a huge subject. Um, but. Uh, Essentially, you can see that it, it will not be able to carry on. Um, you know, you, you you know, you break an arm and go into emergency. You know, and they'll charge you twenty thousand dollars. I mean, I, they don't do that now. I know, but they'll probably charge you two or three. <laughs> you know, or whatever. And it's it's. Uh, you remember Russell Baker, the columnist? Yes. yes. Yeah, it was wonderful and everything. Yeah, brought brought acupuncture to the West. Yeah, I he, believe. Uh, yeah. He, he wrote a he wrote a column once about you know about you know, the insurance company will pay and this and that and so people, you know, um, uh, didn't pay it any mind themselves. I think it was um, uh, I think it was said that the uh, the Amish were were um, uh, were the best judge of medical care because they shopped around, they paid cash, and they had the best doctors who charged the best price, and this and that. And if you if you lose that in America and the West in general is losing, you know that that uh, uh, that perspective, you know it all happens somewhere else, you know, and this and that. Then then you know all, all sorts of as you will well know in your case, all sorts of people come out of the woodwork and then do all sorts of, you know, nefarious things. <laughs> well, they want, they want their little bank accounts uh, increased a bit. Yeah, it's greed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and how do you know, it's, a, it, it, it's what it is. Yes. But where you get large institutions argue, I, I spoke to a podiatrist when I was in, in Ohio, you know, and, and whatnot. And he basically said that X percentage of his patients he knew would never pay. 
you know, so in a way he's probably charging the other ones a little bit more to compensate for that because that's the situation and what are you going to do and the Hippocratic Oath and all that and blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, this is not, the only, this is no way to run a railroad. I'm not sure whether the attitude toward people who are over 60 is different in Britain than it is in the States. Do you think? Uh, um, what, what, what attitude is there for the over 60s in America? Well, I hate to tell you this, but I recently spoke with someone who was the ex-attorney general of a state. And he essentially said to me that it's a waste of money to investigate crimes against the elderly, although it was, it was worse than that. He was talking about rape. And he said, if, if somebody over 60 gets raped, it's not that important. But if somebody over, under, under age gets raped, it's important and we'll investigate it. I think, I wonder if that attitude's the same. No. No, I mean, there is, there is an aspect of political correctness, if we can call it that, that's, that's crept into the, in, in, into the UK. They have something here called the Crown Prosecution Service with CPS. And it's the Crown Prosecution Service working in conjunction with the police, sort of, that decide what you know, can be, pro will be prosecuted and what will be, you know, not prosecuted. Um, and sometimes those are political considerations for that. And people in America probably remember that, um, and, th and this applies to everything, Leonie, whether it's, you know, people in care, this or that. When you have a situation where people in authority are willing to lie through their teeth without blinking, and, I, and I'm convinced a lot of them actually believe what they're saying, which is, which is even more frightening. You know, you've got a situation where, where um, uh, how are we going to get the toothpaste back in the tube on stuff like this? I have a question about, as, you, as you're mentioning, going back to the care situation and the guardian situation, which in mm -hmm. most states here is absolutely secret and no one's allowed to speak about it or disseminate information or documents or talk to the press. How would you propose that we could fix the, the problems in the system if no one's allowed to know about them? Well, I, I know what, the, I, um, I think as I told you before, a, a, a good friend of mine was the civil service head of the PGO, Public Guardianship Office. And um, in, Britain. In, Britain. in Britain, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're based here in London, in Archway. Uh, and uh, I'm not an expert on this, but you know, just talking to him about the way they handle it and everything. They actually have a, a court, you know, in in the building, in the office. You know, it's a special court, you know, set up for it and whatnot. And um, without knowing. Uh, really very much about the public guardianship uh, in, in, in the United States, except uh, um, following your case over the years and, and, and whatnot. It would seem to me that uh, a first step might be, you know, to um, create special courts for this. I mean, they, maybe these courts could do other things as well, but to take them out of, uh, 
of the general. Were they, were they done in superior court or? They're done in probate court as if the person is dead. The person who's right. being put in guardianship because they've lost their rights. So they're, putting, they're put under the probate statute, which is a statute for dead people. And these judges, are they, are, are they general judges who also uh, do this work? Uh, most of the time, they're district, regular district court judges. What's happening, essentially, is that they're getting more and more like family court, which means they're having less and less reliance on evidence and more and more reliance on individual people appointed by the judge. And mm -hmm. so it, the, the situation kind of, kind of feeds off itself. You know what, you know what, what I mean? Well, I, I, I do indeed. Yeah. I mean, what you've told me, you know, it certainly seems that, uh, you know, it's, uh, as they say in Britain, jobs for the boys, you know, it's uh, get a network going, you know, and um, start milking that cow. I had, a, I had an attorney tell me once that when he was just finished with school and just licensed, a friend of his said, you know how you get business. You go and, and make friends with a judge and sit in his courtroom during a guardianship hearing and he will give you the guardianship and that will be a way that you can support yourself. And he said, I didn't want to do that. He didn't do that. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, it is an old boy network. It's a, it's a problem. It can be. It can be an old boy network and a terrible problem unless there's a lottery system of appointing you know, appointing guardians, but why you would do that if there's a family member available who's willing is that if there's money available, then it's possible to uh, have a nice little income stream from doing what about, the, I'm sorry. What about uh, um, the comparison between the, the, the various states? Different in different states. Um, I've heard complaints from many different states at this point. Uh, they're different, but the problems are different in different states. I haven't heard from any state that has an ideal setup, although I did a couple of years ago hear about a judge in New York who refused to have a gag order issued in a guardianship case because there was a there was a complaint against the guardian. I, I don't remember what the circumstance was, but there was an actual complaint in court against a guardian and the guardian was demanding a gag order for the benefit of the ward. Now, if the ward was not competent to understand what was going on anyway, the judge said, uh, the only person that gag order could benefit is you, sir. Mm -hmm. And do all states, uh issue gag orders or have they have the ability well all all judges i suppose in certain circumstances to protect people or information have the ability to issue gag orders but the question is who is being protected and why and if there's not good cause to bar the public from speaking i mean there have been a number of cases or at least two that i know of in new mexico where a judge said to assembled people who were in the courtroom that if any of them said anything about what had transpired there, they would all go to jail. Mm -hmm. Now that's like a spontaneous gag order issued without anybody asking for it. 
but it it's it's very restrictive that way it probably should not happen but i've heard of two different judges in new mexico who did this in different cities in different towns at different times and it's very very off-putting and it seems to be a contradiction to the idea of an open court system yes totally uh, you know totally unrelated to the whole idea of having trials in public mm -hmm. so uh i i think we probably will need some determination on this at some point and i'm going to try and see if there's something i can do to facilitate that but it's a very complicated process it's the secrecy the secrecy hides a lot of things for people yes well, we've seen that recently with the fisa courts and indeed and, and whatnot indeed. but I, I i did hear anecdotally of the of uh and i'm sorry i don't remember who it was but uh in in the morass of you know the uh russia gate or whatever uh calling it that uh, a judge did issue a gag order against against someone uh and it uh, uh i'm not sure whether it was you know appropriate or not um uh, they tend they tend to be apt to issue these things for re quote unquote reasons of state or state security but with with an individual who's uh, having a guardianship case in the middle of a guardianship case, normally that doesn't involve state security. Uh -huh. there, there can't be anything like that. Although they, they tend to say we want to avoid embarrassment to the ward. But when you look at the things that are public currently, you wonder how that is something to be hidden if someone is not uh, in full possession of all of their faculties, that's not a, an issue that is hidden anymore, usually. I have lost you again. Oh, have you? Uh, yeah, I have lost you. I mean, I hear reason, you, I hear you, but I don't see you. Now you're back. Yeah, I'm sorry, for some reason it's defaulting. I don't know, I'm not touching anything or uh, whatever. I don't know, I think maybe, <laughs> maybe it's tired. I think the, um, uh, you know, the gag orders he uses is a weapon, you know, sometimes. And, well, and, it would be an, a weapon by one side against the other. Yeah, yeah. Well, or the judge, uh, you know, with his cronies or whatever. Um, but uh, again, you know, like I guess I would say I'm not uh, very well acquainted with uh, how things are in, in the United States about that. Um, I haven't heard anything here uh, about here in the UK about uh, you get the usual troubles with ambiguous ambiguous wills and you know changed wills and stuff like that. It appears in the paper every once in a while, but I've not heard of anything systemic that uh, that um, they're pulling the kind of shenanigans that some some judges and lawyers are pulling in the United States. Are you, are you familiar with whether the guardianship act, the actual guardianship hearings in that special court are open or closed or secret or? Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't have thought that they would have, I would think that they would be open. I don't know. I mean, or at least, you know, the, the transcripts or whatever, but I don't know. I'd have to check that. But, 
never, I mean, the public guardianship offices was set up as for, again, as far as I'm aware of that, to look after people who had some assets who were unable to look after themselves. And I don't, I, I think the asset base is fairly low. I don't know what it is now, but, uh, um, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of there to help really than, you know, exploit. I mean, I'm, you know, as you probably could tell, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> lawyers are not my favorite people. I mean, there are a lot of good lawyers, when they're, but there are many, many more bad ones. And you have almost expert status on this. So you know, <laughs> you know yeah, it. but I'm not, I'm not being interviewed, theoretically. Yeah. <laughs> it's you. Yeah. It's you today. Only because you managed to avoid it. You have well, like... You have a list of things that you think people need to do to avoid these things, and and they include having the right family members. Well, I think I think that does help. I mean, as uh, you know, um, uh, my mother had had not been declared incompetent or anything like that, even though she was. Um, I had um, uh, sort of. Uh, she had a living will. I had power of attorney, had it for years. Um, the condominium was, um, uh, I, I forget the name of the instrument, but basically um, a legal procedure was done where it, it, it was transferred directly to me on her death and didn't go through any sort of probate or this or that. Maybe that's a, a law that's local to Ohio. I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm ignorant of, of things like that. Um, and uh, uh, I, I was a signatory on the bank account for 10 years or something like that. Not that I ever signed for anything. So, um, you know, what needed to be done based on the, uh, the lawyer's advice, you know, over, over, over the years, you know, it was, uh, was all tidied up, you know. And, and if there's any recommendation, you know, for, for people, you know, that's, it's, uh, you know, you make sure you uh, dot the I's and cross the T's and, and this and that, because um, uh, whether there's any ambiguity or, or, uh, you know, the person dies in test date or something like that, you know, you are opening yourself up to, you know, a world of trouble. Um, and I mean, I had, uh, maybe it was 15 years ago or something. I heard of somebody had died and named the bank as, uh, had, had, had previously named the bank as the executor of their will. <laughs> the bank, you know, went on for six or seven years and they ran up huge bills and stuff like that. It was, uh, appeared in the press and it was uh, considered to be a bit of a national outrage, but th that would be my advice. Yeah. I mean, right. make sure that everything is, uh, is, um, uh, done properly. And, uh, uh, and, uh, well, quite and, a few, uh, quite a few attorneys do counsel people to make the bank, the trustee of their trust or the, um, executor of their will because a bank is stable and individuals can die. But uh, there's a trust company I've heard of recently charges 4% a year to administer a trust. And after exactly. 10 years, 40% of the trust has vanished just in yes. their fee. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, 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 you know, and I mean, again, we're all, we're all lazy beings, and you know, to a certain extent, and this and that. Don't like to. A lot of us don't like to do these these sort of things, and that's why you know the financial advisor and comes by and says, you know, I mean, I'll invest your money for you, you know, and they invested in an index tracker fund, you know, and then take 3% a year or something like that, you know, which you could easily do yourself. I mean, you know, it was ever thus. And I suppose things have become more complicated. Well, there's been a, a movement on behalf of investment advisors who would like to charge a steady state fee that if you have a larger account, they charge more money. Uh, it's, it's like a, a sliding scale. The less money you have, sometimes the more money they charge. So it starts at a particular amount and then it drops down as you have a large, you know, over a million dollars, they'll charge you less. Mm -hmm. But they'll still be charging you and they'll charge you annually over a period of like 30 years, even if they charge you 2%, 60% of your money is now their money. And they That's think right, yeah. they think it's good because they're not charging you a commission. I'd rather buy my house once and pay the commission once. Exactly, yeah, 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 exactly, but, yeah. But they make it sound as if the people who are charging the commission on sale are doing something wrong. And I, I can't see that, so, but I guess you can't either. So I think, I think we've probably covered what you want to cover. Is there anything else that I should have asked you that I didn't? No, not that I can think of, no. Okay, well, if we can fix the problem with the video fading in and out, the audio is fine this time. Yeah, I don't know. It keeps defaulting. I'm going to try just... I just uh... Thank you so much, Brad, for joining us here today.